how is it used for for good or what kind of psychedelics do they use to try and is, is it like a treatment for people or in what way is it used yeah so um historically there are many many different types of psychedelics through different cultures and often that was used in sacrament or through ceremony or through some type of journeying um into other worlds for uh um ceremony and for discovery so the psychedelic use depending on what it is what plant it is or what culture it is um, it has had historically centuries of um, use in that way for healing and in the um, more modern times the 50s and 60s is when uh, the psychedelics were were beginning to be explored for the use of um, mental health, for psychiatric illness, for managing depression, and um, oftentimes things that they weren't able to treat with other kinds of medications or even therapies. So the beginning of the psychedelic renaissance in terms of our modern science started about in the 50s and 60s. And um, when that became something that some of the scientists got a little bit carried away. Uh, Probably the most famous is Timothy Leary, but there were some really responsible scientists that saw that they, they knew something was possible, but they didn't know what was possible and whatever it was that was possible was going to require that other um, systems support the use of psychedelics. So other doctors and hospitals and, uh, treatment for psychiatric illness would have to support that, and um, it they just there was a, a lot of stigma around it because they're working with really fragile people in circumstances that may have um, improved people's mental health, but because of um, the systems not being set up appropriately and the power of those drugs being used um, in science but also recreationally, that all collided and also some politics around it created um, what Nixon talked about, which was the war on drugs in in, um, North America, uh, was not so much about the war on drugs, but it was the war on people because the government was losing the grip on um, the direction of those those medications and those uh, drugs that were being used recreationally as well as scientifically. So it happened um, quite quickly and unfortunately, and it happened in a way that um, I would say stigmatized the drugs and also stigmatized groups of people that were demonized for using those drugs. And some of those drugs were being used by people of color and because that was their traditional um, use with psilocybin, with peyote, with other um, sacred medicines that indigenous and black people were using, even cannabis. So those were all um, the the entire war on drugs became against people that were using those drugs, and that included people that were actually scientists. Yeah, and and how um, I the thing that interests me is like how um, do you know the way psychedelics are like demonized to the level like well higher than alcohol now alcohol probably in a lot of places is nearly encouraged rather than demonized which is kind of i don't know but it like when you look at it they probably maybe they have obviously there's different effects of it but you can definitely have links between them like it is mind altering 
there's obviously obviously you can cut in you know more about this than me but they're definitely both mind altering is the one similarity you'd say to have why do you think there's such a such a like difference in acceptance like societal acceptance between we'll say alcohol and psychedelics that's what jumps out of me yeah that's a really good question um even alcohol there was a lot of prohibition around alcohol until the government got involved so the the government um in where i am from in canada there's a lot of taxes and there's a lot of uh, government regulation around alcohol um it used to be um national now it's provincial so in the province that i live the government controls the alcohol so there's this there is a benefit to people using alcohol in you know even in my where i live because it benefits the social programs and that is i think the main purpose of why people have access to alcohol is because of all the taxes and all the all the things that are being funded through those taxes with psychedelics um depending on what is being used because it's not reg- at this point there's not enough information to say um that it can that it is regulated or that there's any kind of control over it one of the things that happened in canada i think it was maybe four or five or six years ago i'm not a cannabis user but um cannabis was legalized in canada so again that is something that has been they wanted to push through the government for many years but those that are benefiting are the government it doesn't create that much of a difference people are still buying drug like cannabis from a corner store or from their drug dealer there's it's just a two-tiered system so it doesn't create that it it takes away the legal aspect but it doesn't actually solve the problem with psychedelics um there are i think it is more powerful than cannabis use and the one thing that i think that is probably um the reason why it isn't as <laughs> regulated as alcohol or readily available is because one people aren't going to be it's such an it's an incredibly intense experience and people aren't going to and it's not addictive and people are not going to be going like they're not creating a cycle of dependency for things like psychedelics and to be honest the reverse happens with psychedelics is that people tend to use less and when they use less psychedelics they also consume less tobacco and alcohol it seems to be one of the things that um a side effect of using psychedelics whether it's through microdosing or full dosing in a therapeutic setting there's a high um success rate with um smoking cessation so and um there's also a number of psychedelics that are being used for treatment in, in alcoholism so it's like a a a solution to a problem that the government doesn't really want to get rid of <laughs> the problem which is alcohol because even if you look at some of the statistics the most dangerous um substance is alcohol and uh the in the top 5 is alcohol and um tobacco which is government regulated for in most countries yeah and um do you do you think the like even the in terms of like addictiveness i don't know that's probably another thing people associate with the psychedelics that's probably one thing even in ireland we would say it's like you know you get hooked on we'll say 
you know, even some of the bigger ones like heroin or so, you know, the, the main, you know, the ones everyone's heard of, you know, the big ones like even cocaine, probably more of a party drug, but like that's probably, maybe do people perceive it as more addictive, whether it is or not? I don't. I said, you did you say like in micro, if you micro dose it, like say you only have small kind of um, doses of it that it's less addictive or, or what? What's the study on that? Yeah. So um, there is no, the, in terms of the addictability, um, the least addictive substance is, um, I, I have, um, I have the form actually, or the, the graph in a TikTok video, but the, the bottom three or four addictive substances are psilocybin, LSD, and um, I don't know what the third one is, but psilocybin and LSD are the least addictive. And so when you're, when people, but more concerning, like the cocaine and heroin are highly addictive, they wouldn't be in the classification of psychedelics. The classic psychedelic is an LSD, psilocybin, um, MDMA is not so much, but it also is an addictive, but it has a higher component because it's hitting on, it's a higher hit on the dopamine uh, receptors. So there is some addictability or more desire for frequent use, but the other problem with addiction for those other substances like psilocybin and LSD is our body builds a tolerance. So they don't, they don't, there's no chase. They don't hit the receptors the same way that once you're the, the brain gets that stimulation from say cocaine, that it's looking for more. Whereas with the, the work with LSD or psilocybin, the receptors that it's working on is actually working on the serotonin receptors and the um, the ability to actually regulate emotions rather than chase for a different feeling. It allows people to actually be in an experience safely with their emotions than trying to escape them. So um, they're not they're the two re- the two main reasons why they're not addictive is because you build a tolerance. And they're actually working with your brain to heal away from any um, emotional issue that may cause people to become addicted. There's a very strong correlation between um, um, people who can't emotionally regulate because of uh, childhood trauma, because of post-traumatic stress, um, anything that they may have, um, like uh, even, I'm not, I going to back it up for a sec. The reason what causes addiction tends to be resolved with psychedelics. Right. And when you talk about psychedelics kind of improving someone's mental health, does that mean like when like in terms of like how often do they have to be taken? Like, um, and like say what drugs and like how often do they have to be taken? Like I'm assuming it's not just, you know, you take some, some form of psychedelic and your mental health is, is perfect forever. Like it's, is this kind of just a, a weekly thing that you, you take a little dose a week that kind of just keeps you, that frees up your mind or, or how does that work? Yeah, depending on the protocol. So if we're looking at some of the research that's done actually in the UK in Imperial, Imperial College, um, it's run by a doctor named Dr. David Nutt and another uh, neuroscience researcher named Robin Carhart-Harris. So they were probably around 2010, they were starting some research with depression. 
and um, what they're what they were able to conclude in like their six or eight years of discovery was that it was a, a therapeutic dose, which is usually between two point five and three point five grams of psilocybin um, in a therapeutic setting six times. They were able to say that that was they were able to concur that that was um, a, an improvement for long term improvement with depression. There were a few issues in them that they had to apply for the access to psilocybin. The government was giving them a hard time. So what happened with those participants is that some of them improved and some didn't. So they have better access and more um, availability to those drugs in different hospitals in the US. So Johns Hopkins, NYU, um, who else is doing studies? Um, I think UCLA Berkeley is doing studies. Um, there is a study going on in the UBC in Canada. So those studies have done a broader range where they're doing similar protocols of six sessions over six months, and that they're finding that that is a, a treatment for depression, long-term treatment, sustainable treatment for depression, where they the people have been able to remain um, without depression and without medication for depression over a, a period of years. So, and these people were, the, I know a lot of these terms sound kind of dorky, but these were um, treatment resistant depression that was had a, a long-term duration. Um, I think the average range of those people's depression had lasted 18 years. So these people were able to say they were no longer depressed after six months. So, and then some of those people were able to continue, but some relapsed. And now with more uh, support and more um, government attention to these, the, this research, they're saying that those people were with some treatment, annual treatment, they're able to, to continue to be uh, without depression. In the US, some of the studies that they've done mostly with PTSD, um, they were, they're able to say, even in one treatment that some of the veterans that they have worked with that have had severe PTSD are no longer in symptomatic after one treatment with MDMA. So it depends on the drug. It also depends on the study maps, which is the, um, multidisciplinary association for, um, psychedelic studies, and that is headed by Rick Doblin. There's a lot of research there with MDMA, and they're saying that depending on the severity of the PTSD, they're also, you know, um, accommodating treatment. So um, the one thing that isn't being researched that much is LSD, and I think that they're, LSD and, and psilocybin have very similar effects, but some of the reasons why they're not working with LSD is that it has a very long duration. So um, somebody being high on LSD to have a therapeutic effect that that high that experience usually lasts 10 to 12 hours and that is a huge amount of uh, professional time and so the funding of that is kind of you know they're they're looking at it as not the best solution so the alternative to people being in in settings where they are being studied in labs and and re in research programs there is the option and most people um one of the things that i talk about is microdosing and so most people do find 
that that is more accessible because it's a very small amount taken more frequently during the week and it's not you're not experiencing a high but the brain is actually working with the chemical the psilocybin with the serotonin receptors and it's healing the brain away from anxiety and depression very subtly so which i think is a much more sustainable change than having a psychedelic experience and part of the psychedelic experience is that it's just it can be a, a recreational experience or it can be a therapeutic experience if it's a therapeutic experience one of the things that actually anchors the change of that experience is integration so it has to be integrated through either a community program or a, a co one of the the thing that i do with my clients is i help integrate their psychedelic experience through coaching um, but there's an access problem when it's illegal in most countries all countries there are places in the us and canada that has decriminalized meaning that you can possess without getting um it's not considered a felony to possess but you can't possess you know large quantities or sell it um so there's some limitations to people being able to access it and use it but the in this you know in canada and the us there are people that are taking that risk because it is a successful option for some people that have had no success with any other uh, pharmaceutical or therapeutic um, process. Yeah, and, and do people, is this kind of an alternative to, like say for pe people you say are, are trying to use this as a form of, you know, as a therapeutic or a, a process to maybe improve their mental health or improve you know, PTSD and stuff you talk about there. Like, is that, have they maybe tried, like, typically have they maybe tried, like, prescription, like, antidepressants and stuff, and have they not worked? Or, like, is these psychedelics, are these stronger to cause an experience? Or are they just, do they cause a different reaction and, like, in the brain than, than like, say, we'll say antidepressants doesn't? Yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's actually, I know this seems weird, but it's the opposite effect in the brain um, when using psilocybin. So an antidepressant, an SSRI specifically, it actually caps the receptor. So that receptor doesn't go into the unwanted emotions. Whereas a, a psilocybin, when it binds with that receptor, it actually pushes the receptor into, um, to like feel through the feelings and into a place where they can make a choice around um, more of like a solution focused approach. So what they've noticed with people that have anxiety or depression is that they become so anxious or depressed that they limit their amount of choices. So brains that are anxious or depressed um, don't have full access to solving problems. So it, because um, the, the way that the brain is functioning, it's just functioning through the depression but with something like psilocybin, it actually opens up that possibility to a new choice so that somebody then may feel that they have that anxious thought or they may have that feeling of depression, but then beyond that, they have a choice. And sometimes the choice actually leads them into an experience of fully living rather than you know backing away from those emotions. So they step into that experience rather than step away from it but that's truly what's happening with those receptors as well. So the 
a pharmaceutical antidepressant will keep them away from those feelings. Whereas a um, psilocybin microdosing experience will actually let them lean into those experiences. And so that being said, some people don't really want to feel their feelings or know what to do when they have feelings. So it can be a big, uh, like, awakening of an experience within some people when they understand that they have control over their feelings, that they can be in a place and feel and be safe. Um, so most people that become depressed become depressed for a reason. There's, you know, and most times that depression is caused by the inability to feel or be overwhelmed by the feelings. So the body just needs to preserve all of its ability to get through by not feeling. Um, so it's not a magic bullet. It takes work to get, you know, to the other side of emotions, especially when people haven't had the experience and it can be a little bit unsettling. So it's a, it's an investment in people's, um, you know, I would say courage and uh, uh, to be confident and capable enough to manage whatever comes up. So it does require extra support or, you know, extra, I would say, help in integrating whatever that is so that they can get to, to fully living and being who they were meant to be without that depression or without that anxiety, but the support of something like psilocybin so that they're safely working with their own inner resources and their emotions. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how you say the kind of difference between the antidepressants and the, you know, the kind of like move away from your emotion or move away from what you're, the pain you're maybe feeling. And then the, you say the, the psilocybin and the, you know, obviously any of the psychedelics that it kind of makes you lean into, let's say if you're depressed, I'm kind of interested about this. So like if someone's feeling, we'll say depression or grief or something, and they, you know, obviously have, have taken the psychedelics. So when you say they lean into their emotions, lean into what they're feeling, does it? How, how does that kind of solve it? Does that mean they're just really, they have to really confront it maybe? Is that, is that how it's, it helps it or? Yeah, yes. And so our systems really are set up to protect us and nobody wants to be you know, deep in their, their sadness or in their grief or their emotions, mostly because sometimes things really are challenging and hard. And um, if we, let's say, had an experience as a child, we may understand that that experience was difficult because as a child, we have, you know, we have feelings. And as a little person with big feelings, we don't, we can't, we can't, we're not smart enough. I know I'm not saying, you know, like we're just not educated enough in the world to know how to manage those feelings. So oftentimes those feelings get sort of tucked away because that experience was too big to handle. But what didn't change, so that feeling stays in our body as it, it would have had we been five or six years old whenever the incident happened. But we grow up intellectually and then forget that we could actually handle that feeling. So that feeling is sitting there in sort of a stored place within our body in a five-year-old mind. 
but the body and the mind grow. And then when we're able to look back on that feeling, we typically have um, much more compassion, much more empathy. So often things that feel big at the time, and then as we grow and develop and understand ourselves better, we can look back and psychedelics really just open the door to that feeling. So whatever it was that was a big feeling at that time, psychedelics are shining a light on it to see that it, it, it was a big deal. But what happened is the mind and body grew and it can handle it now. It can see it for what it was. It might feel painful and it might feel sad. It might feel overwhelming, but it's never going to be too much because it was too much at the time. But as we grow and develop, we develop skills and tools and resources to handle things. So the, I feel psychedelics are really kind of the key to unlock a lot of those um, painful emotions that we weren't able to process in at a time and a place when we, you know, didn't understand that um, it wasn't us or it was too much or it was all of the things that we we don't understand as as small people. Um, so, and as our life happens, we accumulate those experiences. And as we accumulate those experiences that may be negative and hard, we also accumulate knowledge that can help us handle those experiences. So sometimes those, those emotions just need to catch up to the intellect and the, those the, like emotional intelligence then can shine with psychedelics, can shine a light on that and then resolve. The thing about emotions is that they're energy. They're carried in our body. They carry an energy. And for the most part, they just want to be felt. They want to be acknowledged. They want to be um, released. So, and unacknowledged harm causes more harm. Unacknowledged emotions continue to be unresolved emotions. So being able to understand ourselves more and understand those emotions more allow for there to be a greater capacity to feel in present time rather than, you know, carrying all these unresolved emotions from the past. That's the thing. Yeah. Like it, it is, um, it's kind of fascinating how like, you see, maybe as humans, we're not fully equipped to deal with pain. Like I don't, maybe we're not like, you, you think of someone like, let's say, I don't just any kind of a typical example someone who lost their parents maybe or someone any kind of grief or pain I just think it's it's um there is this kind of urge I think in nearly humans to to use a substance nearly and, and like not all the time I'm not I'm not slating anything here but just I think there is a nearly natural instinct just to go for we'll say even the alcohol or whatever else it might be I think there's a natural thing to go for that but I think we're not maybe humans aren't kind of what am I trying to say? Maybe we're, we're kind of not built and maybe we don't have the tools to really to use our minds and we kind of need the likes of, you say, the psychedelics, which do have their good, in fairness, they, ha- they do, you, obviously you've outlined, they do have their positive um, things, but it's, um, it's, just, it's just interesting how you see people react to it. And, um, and would any, would you have, say, if you were in, sorry, just the question I was trying to ask, I went around about there for a second, but if would you kind of um what's the word i recommend like therapy or something to someone first and then if maybe that it isn't working its desired outcome would you recommend say some sort of psychedelics after or what way would that work if you were 
dealing with a patient or dealing with a patient or whatever way you want to call them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it really depends on the, the individual. If it was somebody that had severe childhood trauma or had just been leaving an abusive relationship or had, um, a very chaotic relationship with, with other substances, other drugs, um, that they may, they do, I would suggest that that some, that person with a higher need get more support. Um, and I, there is a really wonderful book. It's written by Dr. Carl Hart. He's an American, um, a pharma, pharma psychologist, pharma, he's a pharmacist, pharma. I wish I knew the word. There's two words that are going together. Um, I think it's like pharma psychiatry. He does. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm flipping on my words here. But Dr. Carl Hart, he wrote a book and it's called Drugs for for Grownups. And he's saying like anything that we're doing with drugs, we can do uh, for the pursuit of happiness. We can do for the pursuit of freedom. We can do and with out ed- being educated, it is a dangerous situation, but being educated about the drugs and why we're using them, they're a very powerful tool. So it can be the drug itself, which is the tool, or it can be the therapy, which leads us to the drug, which is the tool, or it can be the drug and therapy, which is the tool. I think there are many different combinations, but one of the things about that book that I think is really important is to empower people to do their to do their own personal discovery and their work within themselves in a really responsible way. So in my work, I do work with people uh, in the past. I've worked as a guide. So as a psychedelic guide, and I would uh, guide people through their psychedelic journeys and I would be there present with them in their experiences through the pandemic that had to stop because we weren't, you know, in, we didn't have access to, to um, being with people individually. So after reading his book, I understood that there are many things about the the system that has been set up. Like we need a guide and we need therapy and we need support um, in order for it to be successful. I do think that that's true to an extent in certain circumstances, but for the average individual that just wants self-exploration, that wants to get over, you know, occasional depression that wants to get over some, you know, perhaps like a deeper meaning within themselves or something that they may, there are ways that we can safely explore our inner landscape with psychedelics. And the book that was written by Michael Pollan called um, How to Change Your Mind, the, the, the three key components in a therapeutic setting for psychedelic use is set setting and dose. So knowing um, what the what the setup is and who you're with and what the intentions are and then how much you're taking. Like to be able to be and that what you are taking is a safe source. So once you have those three things set up and that you're in a place where you know that you're fully in control, the thing about psychedelics is it can be an intense experience but it has a beginning and an end. It's going to be over. Depending on what you take, there is a time frame in which it starts and ends. And somewhere in the middle, it may get a little rocky and people may feel like pretty freaked out. 
as long as they're in that environment that they set up for themselves to be safe and know they're not leaving, they're not going anywhere, they're not calling anybody in, they're in that place to get themselves through it. I think it can be a really powerful experience that helps people understand that they have their own level of personal responsibility, their own personal agency, and to be their own advocate if needed. So there are many ways to, to, to work with it. And one of them is like in a like lab setting with researchers. That's the only way people really can access um, these drugs at this point legally. The second way is if you in Canada and the US, I'm not sure about the where in Ireland, but in Canada and the US, there are ketamine clinics. Um, and the ketamine uh, research has indicated that it is good for depression. It's also a very short duration. A ketamine experience only lasts about 45 minutes. Um, but the, there is some indication that ketamine has been successful in treating depression. So that's the only, at this point, that's the first point of entry where people can legally use these types of drugs um, in a clinical setting. The rest of it is underground or um, on, the, on your own, like within your own, um, however you access drugs in whatever way you use them. And um, what um, we've kind of we've talked about the the advantages of psychedelics. What um, as someone who kind of you know promotes them as a form, you know, as a way of healing and stuff like that, is there what would be? Is there any big cons or kind of disadvantages that would jump out to you about them? Well, be careful what you wish for. <laughs> that would right. be <laughs> that would be my biggest. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's like a drinking from a fire hose of truth serum. Um, oftentimes, uh, psychedelics shine a light on the on the, the parts of us that we really haven't, you know, wanted to see or had the ability to see. And you know, we're humans. Nobody's perfect. We've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. There's things that I wished I, you know, if I could have a do over, that I would definitely do over. But when it comes to those experiences with psychedelics, I think the whole point of bringing that stuff up is for there to be some acceptance and forgiveness around it. Um, and the other thing is, if you don't know, if you don't know that you have a safe source, or even if you do have a safe source, always test. Um, there's a lot of drugs that are adulterated and there are things that can be added to drugs that are dangerous and so if you're working with mdma or lsd ketamine um and it's a, and it's a you're getting it from an un, unregulated source definitely test there are test kits in, in canada and the us that are available online um and also 100 percent more than anything is know your dose um there are there's lots of information on the on the um internet that gives indications of what might be the best dose to start with. I feel like there are some people like alcohol, more is better. <laughs> um, in, you know, some drugs like cocaine there, you know, you're going to want more uh, with psychedelics. It is not a more is better taking it slow with the dosing. Um, you have lots of time. You can always bump the dose if you wanted. Um, so if you do a, a 
psilocybin at one gram, you can bump it up to two grams after, you know, you enter into whatever state, um, anything you want to, to use, just know the, the, that there is a flip side to it that may be intense. So, and that it will eventually be over. So some of the drawbacks too, is when I said, be careful what you wish for and knowing the truth serum, things change. Um, relationships can change. There are things that people may not want to be honest with themselves about and psychedelics don't hide that. They don't pretend. They don't pretend. <laughs> right. So. Yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's very, yeah, it's very interesting. All right. Um, the last thing I want to ask you, I might put you on the spot a bit with this one, but uh, have you ever experimented yourself with psychedelics or any form of kind of drug? Oh, all the time. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> what do you want to talk about? Um, what kind what kind of drugs have you tried? I'm kind of interested in this. Okay. Um, well, like, I, there are a few things about this, which I, you know, just the caveat. I am 50. I am white. I live in Canada. I'm middle class. There are lots of things about my life that I can just say. I, I'm not at risk. I'm not at risk for you know, being um, shut down, my business, like there are things that I can talk about openly that other people can't. So talking about my drug use is different because I have this, I, I have this appearance and I have this privilege. So, um, but, you know, there are still a lot of stigma around it and not, um, not everybody wants to be as open as I feel I can be um with um with their drug use so in the beginning i would have i i was trained and worked with um psilocybin so mushrooms they i felt like mushrooms were a really good entry point they were natural they they can't easily be adulterated um you can also microdose them very well very easily depending you know it's something that you can microdose with so mushrooms um, for me were something that I experimented and had the greatest success with um, in the early days. I also, early days meaning like 2016, um, my, um, my, the, the short story is that I recovered an alcohol addiction and a food addiction with psychedelics. So people in the addiction world think that that's not how we recover addiction, but there are many drugs that are used in order to overcome addiction. In my case, I was microdosing um, LSD to begin with, and then psilocybin to manage my mental health while um, coming off an addiction. So then that moved into LSD with microdosing and then full tripping with LSD um, for in either recreational or uh, therapeutic setting, both, uh, I've experienced both. And so then moving from the, and then also making, um, understanding that there was, as I grew and developed my own practice, understanding there were certain needs that weren't being met by those different um, substances and working with childhood trauma, especially uh, sexual abuse and, or sexual assault. Um, one of the things that is hard in those, in, in a therapeutic setting is recovering the memories of those trip, those um, very painful experiences. So MDMA 
is something that can be used in those experiences and help um, resolve some of the, the trauma around that experience. Um, and so that has, as well as MDMA, I think is a lot of fun. I don't drink alcohol and I do like music. I like dancing. Um, I, we are, again, this is all, you know, within, a, within the context of a pandemic, there's not a lot of time or places anybody's going, you know, in the last couple of years, my husband and I really have a lot to work out within our, this is our second marriage. So we are committed to, you know, figuring out how we ended up in, you know, two bad marriages and then finding each other and then working out our issues that, you know, did not get resolved in our first marriages and then working them out in our second marriage, in our marriage, our current, our only marriage. Um, And MDMA is a really beautiful catalyst for resolving trauma, being able to communicate with your partner. Um, And so that, that has been a really beautiful recovery for both of us um, in, and honestly, like a coming together with MDMA. And also um, using ketamine. So I've had experiences with ketamine, either with um, in it on its own as a, you know, an interesting curiosity, I was curious, and using it also in the therapeutic setting. And then again, in a rec in as in a recreational setting. And then in the combination of using an MDMA uh, journey with the final um, bump of ketamine. So um, I hope that answers your question. That's kind of my, <laughs> my repertoire of yeah. experiences. Um, yeah, the, um, the, the ketamine one is interesting. Like it, I always wonder what effect that has on humans. Cause like if it can tranquilize a horse, if it could, you know, if you can do that much, if you can do that to a horse, I always wonder the effect it has on a human. What was, what was that like actually the ketamine? Yeah, it's interesting. So there, obviously this is human, this is pharma ketamine. So, um, we're talking about different substances and, um, the thing about ketamine and it is a, a dissociative. So, um, and it is actually ketamine is legal. So there are, it's still used as an, a dissociative anesthetic. So the, the thing is that it's like, I don't even know how to describe it because it's like, there's like nothing physical. There's you're completely in this altered state without, without being able to um, really be in a body, which is quite bizarre. Um, that experience, the, what they call K hole, um, was nothing I've ever experienced before. I literally felt like it was a total void of everything. Um, I did in that experience, be able to contain my thoughts. I was able to understand that I had thoughts, but I had nothing else. There was nothing else. So do you feel like yeah. you're kind of with the k-hole like how is i know it's obviously tough to describe and you're not in it but like does it is it kind of like a different world or like is it just do you just feel isolated what 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 is that actually like yeah so the only thing that i could describe um in that experience was um 
I felt like, like I'm in Canada. I don't know. Somebody else might feel it in a different way, but I felt like I was on a tundra. Like it was just the white, like the bluish white sky and white snow. And like, it wasn't, it, there was nothing that felt comfy or cozy. Like it felt very, it didn't feel like space. It didn't feel spacious. It just felt like nothing. Um, So I would say it was not my favorite (laughs) feeling. Um, And I would also say I was a little scared, like thinking there was a few things about it. When I was there, um, I thought, you know, if this is it, um, I guess this might be it. Like this, this could be the, this could be how it is forever. Like there was some concern about that. Um, And then at some point I was able to like, catch a wisp of a thought. And I thought, okay, so I would like to keep my life. I would, if this is it, that's it. I understand. But if it isn't it, can I please have my life back? Like, can I, so there was some um, comfort in knowing that with everything disappearing, I would want things exactly as they are. Mm. So it felt like there was a good, there was some resolution there. Right. And in, <laughs> it's I don't know how, I don't know how I reply to that. Yeah. That, it's interesting. Yeah. Um, and did your, your thoughts, I know it's, it's very tough to kind of, I know it's hard to get in that zone, but the last thing I kind of ask you about the ketamine is like, I can't even think of what I'm trying to say, but like your thoughts, are they mainly negative? Like, is it an experience that would bring you on or is it an experience that would kind of scare you? How did it, how did it affect your brain? Like, did it, did it bring you down or did it bring you up or give you energy or what was the, what was it like really? Yeah. So this, the fear, there was a little bit of fear in there thinking like, this might be it, you know, what, like um, that you might, when you say this might be it like that, you might die from it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> I'm like all of the, everything's that I ever believed to be something or nothing like, psh, like just kind of sucked out of like reality, I guess. Right. Um, so that was a bit disconcerting. And then, so that was, a, that like, that was, there was a fear there. And I realized, okay, so I'm hanging on to my belief that what I, I'm hanging on to a belief of things creating meaning and that maybe what I'm creating, the meaning that I'm creating um, is really nothing. Like it doesn't matter. Like maybe it doesn't matter. So I had enough, ability to be discerning that I could choose, but I also realized like I couldn't come back from it. Like I couldn't, I couldn't just, you know, open my eyes and be okay. Um, so like, would I want that for somebody? Um, 
you know, I guess it was, it was a courageous thing. I'm proud that I was able to get through it. Um, and at the end there was great relief. It was like, okay, it's over. I had, you know, it was like, it was kind of like a roller coaster ride. Like I was, I was glad when it was over. Yeah. The, the one thing about ketamine is that it does end quickly. Um, so I didn't have to be in that. I think if I had that, if that state had been more prolonged, I would have felt more scared. Um, and at the end of all that, I had a giant purge, like I was vomiting. Um, and so I realized that that was like an emotional, a really emotional time for me. I am in a, um, I am participating in a course right now, Psychedelics for Addiction. Um, it's through the Optimal Living Center in New York City. And the, I, that me describing this experience of ketamine, uh, one of their participants had described that they had overcome some serious addictions uh, to other substances through the work with ketamine. And it was interesting because they had described that any drug, like they were an addict to the point where they would be high regardless of the drug. The, the opportunity to be high was not um, ever refused except with ketamine. <laughs> so, really? That was, that yeah, was how yeah. bad it was. Like, <laughs> that, yeah. And for this particular individual, they indicated that ketamine was the thing that they had to do to remain um, like in good relationship with drugs. So I don't, I believe that this person I identified as sober um, with, uh, with ketamine therapy and that there's nothing about ketamine that they have any kind of good relationship with. So it's, it is a very unique experience. I've had conversations with people that have had different, different, more intense experience with ketamine as well. And they're not, you know, nobody says it's easy or that it would be something that they would want to quickly return to in my experience. So it's, uh, you know, for me, I think it's maybe, I think I might be at the point where I'm okay if I don't do that again. <laughs> Whereas, <laughs> I I wouldn't say that about any of the others. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I never would have guessed that when you you always kind of associate it with kind of tranquility and stuff like that. I wouldn't have associated with 45 minutes of hell like, you know. Um, <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Okay, but the way ketamine like the administration is there's a there's a a dose and then a bump and then a bump. Like you can so the first two doses it's not K-hole. It's not that that's not, you know, I think it's the, again, the dose and the setting. And in the, in the first couple, um, um, in the beginning, it's chatty. There's, you know, there's some kind of curiosity. It's a bit weird. Like everything seems weird. There's a lot of geometric shapes and lines that come through. But then like the higher dose um, is what, you know, people talk about with the K-hole, which you don't go into immediately. It has to, you have to work your way up to it. Okay. All right. So. Yeah. So, it, so there's different levels. Right. Okay. So the higher you get up, it's probably a bit more of a 
scary experience or whatever it's it's probably a bit more yeah. pleasant the first few times i suppose so yeah okay um <laughs> and so dan your are you willing would you like to share your experience with psychedelics or um well i would if there was any i don't think no i i think i've i've vaped once or twice that's that's the height of my drug use i don't think i've ever tried any um I don't know. There's, there's a huge stigma around. No, I, I don't think I ever would, to be honest. I, I don't think um, maybe because I probably don't need it, but I can understand. Look, if someone had maybe depression or something, definitely something you could experiment with. But uh, I don't think I there was never a time I said, geez, I needed to. You know, I kind of just I was happy enough having a few pints and drinking away. And I uh, but no, if there was a, if there was anything I'd ever taken, I, I'd tell you about it now. But uh, no, I actually actually have not. So, uh, okay. yeah. Well, I hope your guests are okay with my full admission of um, of drug use. And honestly, Dan, the reason I'm here is because I do think we need to normalize this conversation. Um, and that a couple of pints and or an experience with something like a psychedelic can be the same, like can have the same, um, like, weight it doesn't have to be so closeted or so shameful um the, the the idea of drugs and the way that we've been sold the idea of drugs is to control particular groups of people and um it's really not true and not fair and i think that it's also when we're talking about these drugs we're talking about all drugs I can't say that these drugs that I've done are better than any drug that anybody does because if people are using drugs, there's a reason. And it's just like if people smoke cigarettes or they um, drink alcohol, there are people, people making an educated choice about what they feel is right for them, I think is helping everybody accept that we are unique individuals getting through our lives in a way where we are all experiencing pleasure and pain in different at different um to different um extents and that we can support that by talking about it and not making it something that is bad hmm. yeah i think you you summed it up well there yeah in fairness um yeah that's that's nearly all i have to, I have to really ask i suppose yeah no it's, it's been a good chat we've really been talking about this for about an hour now so no fair play um is there anything you want to say just to, to finish it off no, I just appreciate the opportunity to meet with you and have this uh, discussion. Um, if anybody has questions, I can, you know, I'm happy to answer either uh, through, I don't have a, an active account on Instagram, but I do check my messages, which is the real coach O and, or through my website, which is coach Kathleen Okay. Lovely stuff. So, um, yeah, no, you'll definitely, you'll definitely get some sort of email from a few people on it because it is an interesting thing that we probably don't know enough over in Ireland. So now you, you'll get plenty of emails. You'll have millions of them in the morning. So <laughs> Millions. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm excited. Good stuff. Um, thank uh, you so much, Dan. No worries, Kathleen. Uh, enjoy the rest of your day and um, the rest of your year and health and happiness to you. Thank you very much. No worries. Right. Trying in this call if I can.